So last week, Jeff asked us as he read this to stand if we were willing to to commit to this. And I don't know about y'all, I wasn't looking around, but I stood. If you were here last week, maybe you stood. If you weren't here and you're just hearing this for the first time, maybe you would have stood if I'd invited you to do so. This is what I want my life to be about. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. And here's the question I have for you. Were your colors clear this week? Were your colors clear this week? Because i I got to be honest, this is a struggle I have sometimes. You asked me last Sunday, you read that to me, yes, I'm up. You read that to me today, yes, I'll stand up. Tomorrow, when nobody's reading that, what, it, what does that look like? What does that look like? So, are our colors clear? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. I think he has a word for us this morning from Philippians. So let me pray, and then we'll dive into God's word. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you. We have a longing for what we want our lives to be. And we know we're not there yet. We know that there are mountains in our way, and maybe that's circumstances, maybe that's crisis, maybe that's critics, maybe that's chains that we feel around our souls. There are things in the way of the life that we want to live for you, Jesus. Sometimes it's just the reality, what we think is reality that we see around us. Lord God, I pray that you would break through in our hearts this morning. I pray that your word would be a sword that pierces us, that convicts us where we need conviction, that comforts us where we need comfort, and that teaches us how to live as part of your fellowship, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So we are going to be continuing in Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 27 and going through chapter 2. It's a hefty chunk. There's a lot here, but stick with me. Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, have the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to, your, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and then being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So, Paul starts with these words, and he starts with this word specifically, he says only. Only this. Only. I've got one thing for you, Philippians. I've got one thing for you, Grace. Only this. And it's easy for us to miss that only because he's going to go on for three more chapters, right? (laughs) So he doesn't just have one thing. He's got a lot more things to tell them. But he starts out with this. Only. And everything he says afterwards, you you could tie back to this. Only this one thing. Only this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only that. Only that. What does that mean? Why is that so important? Well, you know why that's so important? You know what he says? He says, because if your life looks like this, listen, your colors will be clear. That's what he says. Look, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, striving for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything. This is a clear sign to your opponents of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Listen, if you live this way, your colors will be clear. So whatever this is, I want that. Because by the grace of God, hopefully that's going to teach me how to live as part of the fellowship of the unashamed. So we go back to say, what does this mean? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, if you look down in your Bible, some of your Bibles might have a note there that when when Paul says worthy, what he's actually saying is live your life as a worthy citizen of the gospel. Only let your manner of life be as a worthy citizen of the gospel. And when he said this, you know what? The Philippians' ears would have perked up. Citizen, ooh, because that meant something to them. That meant something to them because the people he was writing to, the people in Philippi, they're a colony. They're not their own. They're, they're a colony of the Roman Empire. So what happened was 80, 100 years before Paul is writing there, this, there was a huge battle fought. It was actually the largest battle. The more forces, more Roman forces took the field in this battle than any other battle in the entire history of the Roman Empire. They took the field and they won the day. They defeated the enemy and the Roman Empire was established. And you know how you establish an empire? You have colonies. And Philippi was one of those. And so some of the soldiers who were fought in that battle, the emperor said, we're giving you land right here. You're my people in this place. You're colonists. And so Philippi, 80, 100 years years later, has about about 40% of these people are Roman citizens and the others are just everybody else. They're citizens of Philippi. But it meant everything if you were a Roman citizen. There were rights and responsibilities you had that nobody else could have. You were living a good life. It was an honor to be a Roman citizen. And so what defined your life as a a Philippian in this day was whether or not you were a citizen of Rome. That was everything. That was everything that everybody wanted to be because that was a good life. And Paul says, listen, you think it's hot stuff being a citizen of Rome. It's nothing. You, you in Jesus Christ are a citizen of the gospel of Christ. 
You're a citizen not of the Roman Empire. You're a citizen of another kingdom, a bigger kingdom, a grander kingdom. You're a citizen of the gospel of Christ. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with that, not with the gospel, but with us. See, the gospel is good news, right? And here's the problem with that. We've heard it before. We've heard it all before. Even if you don't believe it and you're in here, you've heard it all before. It's good news, but it's old news, right? So it doesn't impact us that much. You know what we're into? What, what we think is good news now, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad, it's new. That's what we're captivated by. That's why we pull out our phones. I don't know about you, I pull out my phone and find myself scrolling through the news feed. And then you know what I do tomorrow? I scroll through the news feed. And what am I looking for? I'm looking for something new. If this is a story I've seen before, I've heard about before, ah, that's old news. Scroll right past it. What we're looking for is new, new, new. You know, this is actually brokenness inside of us. <laughs> this is brokenness inside of us that is always needing the new because some of the very good things, some of the very best things are old. So old news, even if it's good news, well, it's just not that interesting. So, like, if I were to tell you this morning that Congress met and they unanimously declared war, and they have put together foundational values of what they believe should drive this country, you might sit up and take notice and say, wow, tell me more about that. And then when I tell you I'm talking about the Declaration of Independence, well, that's old news. Yeah, I've heard of that. That's why I got a day off this week, right? I'm going to be cooking burgers on the grill. I might have a double cheeseburger just for that independence. Woo! It doesn't, doesn't mean much because it's old news. It might be good news. might impact our daily lives dramatically. And yet it's old news. See, we do this with the gospel too. I've heard all that before, so let me give my attention to something else. There's a theologian who writes, disciples who are awake to the reality. Disciples who are awake to reality have their attention fixed on the only breaking news that ultimately matters. Namely, the news that the kingdom of God has broken into our world in Jesus Christ. This breaking news demands our sustained attention and a wide awake imagination. See, the way to fix that brokenness in us is not to not pay any attention to the old stuff. It's actually to pay more attention to it. Do you do this in your life? Do you pay attention? Do you sit up and take notice of the gospel? Not because it's new and shiny and special for today and you've never heard it before, but because you have heard it before and it's precious and it's a treasure and it dramatically changes this very moment in your life because it's truth. Do you take notice of it? Are you willing to give your attention to it one more time right now today, even if you've heard it before? See, here's the truth. Here's reality. You want reality? You've heard it before. I'm going to tell you anyway. Here's reality. There's a God who existed. Before everything else we know, he existed, and he was all wise, and he was all good, and he was all powerful, and he still is. And out of his goodness and wisdom and power, he made everything else that's ever existed and that will ever exist. Everything you've seen and everything you will ever see, he made it. And out of his wisdom, he made it because he wanted to he wanted creation to share his joy and his goodness, to share in that. And then after he made all of it, at the very crown, at the very top of it, he put us, not just to share in his love, not just to experience his love and goodness, but to reflect his very glory. Like a moon reflects the sunlight, to reflect it. It was so very good. It was so very good for a little while. 
And then, well, the unthinkable happened. The biggest atrocity you could have ever hear about happened. These creatures, us, who were made to reflect the glory of God, said, no. We do not want you in control of our lives. We do not need you. Think about this. Do not need God, the very God that brought us into existence, that breathed life into our lungs, the God through whom holds all things together, even right now in this moment. And we have the audacity, the arrogance to say, we don't want you. We don't need you. And there's nothing left for us. After we say that, there's nothing left but judgment. We've rebelled against the creator, the king, the Lord over all, and there is absolutely no way to weasel our, out of this, our way out of this, to reason our way out of this. There's no way to work our way out of this. We're done for, and it's hopeless. It's hopeless. And then comes Jesus. And then comes Jesus. Look at this. Christ Jesus, Paul says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus is God. He always was God. He always will be God. He was the Lord of all creation sitting on the throne who had every right to simply pronounce judgment upon us. And we're done for. But he didn't hold on to that. He didn't stay there on the throne. He stepped down. And it says he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. People say that means Jesus stopped being God. That doesn't mean he stopped being God. He always was God. He always will be God. He was God the Son, and he entered in, and he took on the form of a servant. He dressed in different clothes of a servant. Can you imagine the, how ridiculous is this? How insane is this that the king stepped off the throne and put rags over himself? That he set aside his own reputation so we wouldn't recognize him right away. And then, and then he goes further. He didn't just empty himself. He didn't just take the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient. Listen, if there was anybody who ever lived who had the right to rule their own lives, wasn't it Jesus? If there was anybody who said, I'm going to do it my way, wasn't it the king of heaven, the king of all creation? And he didn't. He was the only one ever who stepped into life and said, I, not my will, but yours be done. And God the Son submitted to God the Father every moment of his life. Every moment in every way was obedient to the very end of his life, to death. And not just any death, the worst, most atrocious, most gory, agonizing death that will ever be in humankind. And why did he do it? He did it to take our judgment. That judgment that was impending, that judgment that was ahead of us, he took it. Think about that. Think about all the guilt and all the shame of everything you've ever done. You know that feeling. You know that recognition you've had where I've done wrong, I've hurt. Think about that guilt and that shame. If Jesus were just to die for one of us, that would be amazing. If he were to take that amount of guilt and shame that we've ever felt in our entire lives for rebelling against God, that would be amazing. If he were to do that for maybe 
all of us in this room. Wouldn't that be astounding? Can you imagine the weight of that? Not just my guilt and shame, but your guilt and shame and your guilt and shame. And all of us in this room, hundreds of people, guilt and shame. And he takes that on himself and experiences the judgment, the righteous judgment against that. That'd be astounding. But do you know what? He did it for everyone. Everyone who's ever existed. I looked up this week. Best estimates are in the history from Adam and Eve until now, there's been about 109 billion people who have ever existed. Jesus Christ took the guilt and shame of all of it on himself. And that's the death he died. That's the death he died so that not just one of us would be saved, but anyone Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus and says, you are not just my Lord, but my Savior. Yes, God, I am not righteous. Yes, God, I have rebelled against you. You are a holy God, and I am not. I deserve death, and you took it from me. Now I receive your gift of forgiveness. Anyone who says that, who believes on his name as Savior, might receive the gift of forgiveness in him, of new life in him. And so everyone who declares that reality, each one of us, if you're in Christ, you've declared that reality, that judgment that was coming no matter what, that judgment that you couldn't stave off that was in your future, it is no longer in your future, it's in your past. It's no longer there anymore if you are in Christ Jesus. How do we live worthy of the gospel? Well, we sure don't earn it, right? The gospel is proof in and of itself we can't earn it. Here's the first thing we do, we remember. In fact, that's what we're going to do right now. Do you have, in this moment, can you turn your attention to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you? He gave us a way to do that, that we're going to celebrate together, communion. In this moment, I'll invite the ushers forward. He has sacrificed his life for us. This is the very old news that's the best news that we could ever hear. In Christ, this is what you belong to, this gospel. And we choose to remember. So as the ushers come forward and begin handing out communion, I encourage you to take both cups. The one underneath has the cracker. Take them and hold them, and we'll take communion together in just a moment. Deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing love. The Father turned His face away As wounds which bore the Chosen One Bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon the cross My sin Upon his shoulder 
before Jesus went to the cross and took all our shame and all our guilt and all our rebellion on his shoulders. That night he gathered with his friends and he took up the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Let's take this with an awareness of what it means. And in the same way, Jesus pointed to his blood that was about to be poured out. And he took up the cup and he said, this is my blood, the wine of the new covenant poured out for the ransom of many. Let's take it knowing it was poured out for us. Lord Jesus, Forgive us for ever taking this for granted. Forgive us for being distracted by lesser things that seal our attention from the astounding wonder of your grace. That you made a way. You went to that cross and you made a way for us to come back to you. God, we gratefully receive that sacrifice on our behalf. 
And Lord, we thank you for all that it means for those of us who apply that to our lives, for those of us who receive you, who bow the knee and say, call you Lord and Savior. We thank you for the new life that we have entered into with you. I pray that the rest of this morning that you would awaken our hearts again to this old news, to this good gospel that we are to live in. We will ever be grateful for it. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. So that's the good news. Jesus died on the cross for you. Well, that's part of it. That's, that's part of it. <laughs> See, that's not the whole good news. It doesn't end at the cross, right? Jesus Christ didn't stay dead. Three days later, God rose him up out of that grave, and he now reigns supreme. And this is what Paul says. This is what Paul says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, at this name that is known worldwide, respected or not, honored or not, the name that is known the world over, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, here's the truth. The rest of the good news It's not just that he died. It's not just that he rose again. It's that God has highly exalted him, and he is now back on his throne. And guess what? He's establishing his kingdom. The biggest battle that was ever waged on behalf of mankind was waged by Jesus Christ, and he won it. And now he establishes his kingdom. You thought the Roman Empire was something. Wait till you get a load of this. So this is what Paul says. You are citizens of the gospel. So now that you're citizens of this, guess what? You're not citizens of Philippi anymore. You're citizens of Rome, right? You're not citizens of this world anymore. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so what do we have as that? Do you know that we are a people? As citizens of the gospel of Christ, we are a people. If you were a Roman citizen back in Philippi and you walked around town, you were part of a people. You were part of a tribe. You were never alone. You were part of the victors. And you walked around in honor and pride. You were a reminder to everyone everywhere that, hey, this side won. Your very life, your very walk, the way you lived was a reminder to everyone. And you had a people to live in community with. You know, only Roman citizens could marry. Only Roman citizens could do business contracts. They lived a life of fullness and community with each other that could not be experienced by anyone outside of that. Do you know that what we have blows that away? We are a people of the gospel. We are part of a fellowship of the unashamed, and we have a fellowship, we have a community that the world longs to have, and they don't know how to get it. We are to live as part of a community of the people of God, and we experience this life together. We grieve together, but not as those who have no hope. We suffer together and we cry together, but we take joy, and the joy of the Lord is our common strength, and we do not have to do any of this life alone apart from God or apart from each other now because we are a people That's why Paul says again and again in this passage, he says, I want to come and see you or I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, side by side. He says, have the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind because you are a people. You're to live a deeper and richer life of community than the world. It's not possible outside and apart from him. Oh, and 
Do you know, part of, part of living as this people, they had a vote, right? The Roman citizens could vote, so they had representation. Do you know who you have as representation? <laughs> it's not your vote. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself. Do you know what Scripture says? It says Jesus Christ himself is interceding before the Father on our behalf. He's interceding. He's talking. He's praying to himself. He's praying to God. I don't know. You figure that out. We're not going to figure that out. He's praying. He's interceding on our behalf to God. It says the spirit that is within us intercedes on our behalf. We have representation, and it's not ourselves. It's Jesus Christ because we're a people. Do you know we have a purpose? Roman citizens walked around, and they had a purpose. That's why they were colonists, you know? When you establish a colony as an empire, the colonists are there to work on your behalf. You know what? They set aside their personal interests. They'd rather be home. Wouldn't you rather be home? They'd rather be home back in Rome, but they're not staying home. They're setting aside their desire to be home, and they're being somewhere else. They're living in a foreign land because they're working on behalf of the, empo- of, on behalf of the emperor. See, the emperor doesn't come all over, doesn't come every place. That's why he has colonists. He sends them. You're here. You're the representation of the kingdom. You're here. And so that's what you're doing as a colonist. You're the mark and you're the sign that Rome has won. And so Paul says, with one mind, you're striving. I want to see you striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Side by side for the faith of the gospel. Listen, we're not home. Don't you wish we were? Don't you wish we were home, but we're not? We're not home. But that's the point right now. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom of Christ. It's not about what we want. We're to set our interests aside. We're to put before us the interests of Christ and his kingdom, working on behalf of the good of the kingdom. And just like the Romans, you know what they did? They gave their money, they gave their time, they paid taxes, they, they gave of their time, they worked on behalf of the empire. We're to be here and work in our daily lives on behalf of the empire, on behalf of the kingdom that we are now a part of. And Romans, sometimes they'd be called on to fight in the military. If you were a Roman citizen, that was one thing. The emperor might call on you. Get up, join us, it's time to fight on behalf of this. And listen, there might be time in our lives where we're called up to fight in a way we never have before on behalf of his kingdom to give something or maybe to give all. And do you know what else Romans had? They had protection. A Roman citizen walked around town and he didn't have to fear. He walked around in honor. People might not have liked you if they weren't Roman citizens, but they at least respected you. They got out of the way. You parted the crowds as you walked through because there was a respect for a Roman citizen. Do you know they didn't have to prove it? They didn't have to prove they were citizens. They just walked up, they told somebody their name. And based on their name, they know, oh, he's a Roman citizen. We know his name. He's a Roman citizen. And because of that, they had protection. They had the empire on their side. So if they were ever accused of something, they could call for a fair trial, and the empire would come to their defense. If they ever got attacked or somebody wronged them, they could call for the empire to come behind them and support them. The entire force of the Roman Empire, the legal system, would come behind you and protect you. Do you know we have a protection that is better than any of that? We can walk without fear. That's what Paul says. He says you can walk not frightened in anything by your opponents. We have opponents, don't we? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Do you know what the, somebody reminded me the other week, do you know what the the Bible says about, the the Bible suggests that that Satan, when he fell from heaven, it says he took a third of the angels with him. It suggests that he took a third, that's how big his forces are. Do you know what that means? That means that two-thirds on the other side, and that's the side we're on. And it's not just double the forces, God's on that side too. So you may have opponents, but you have a protection. 
And you may be called on at some point to give your life for Jesus Christ, but until that day, the enemy cannot touch you. Until he has permission from Jesus Christ to say, yes, he cannot touch you. This is a protection we walk in. And so Paul says this. Paul says now only this. Let your life be as a worthy citizen of this. Not worthy as in you can earn it. You can't earn it. You can't earn anything. That's the gospel. But walk in light of it. You know how you become a Roman citizen? You're born into it. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You were born into it. And now what you do when, you, when they say walk as a worthy citizen of Rome, you know what they're saying? Walk as who you already are. You were born as a citizen of Rome. Now walk as who you already are. And so when we walk worthy of the gospel of Christ, it's not to earn anything. It's just walking in who we already are. Wouldn't it be crazy for a Roman citizen to walk around town afraid? To walk around town and pretend he was alone and not interact in community and not do business and not even get married and say, I can't do that. No, you're a Roman citizen, man. You're what everybody longs to be. Just walk in it. Walk in what you already are. Do you know how ridiculous it is for us as children of our Father in heaven, as citizens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to walk around not worthy of it? To walk around afraid? To walk around like we're not part of a community? To walk around like we've got to do this on our own? We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Let us walk in what we already are. And so here's the rub, right? Here's the rub. How do I do that? Because <laughs> I've tried that, right? I've tried walking worthy. And I've failed. I've tried walking worthy of the gospel. I've tried to walk in light of all of this, and I fall down every single day. This is too high of a call. We fail again and again and again, and we can't sustain this. And so between last week when I stood up and this week when I heard it again, like I fell down this week. We can't sustain it. And you're right, this is too high of a call. We fail again and again and again, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. See, we can't, but he can Thanks. Somebody knows where I'm going, right? <laughs> See, Jesus Christ rules and reigns over his kingdom now, just not, not just up there, not just out there, but in here. See, the emperor, he put colonists around because he couldn't go every place. Jesus Christ, you know why he puts us around? Because he is every place. Because he takes up residence in our hearts. That's what he says. Jesus says, he who loves me, the Father and the Son, that we will enter and make our home in him. He says, do you not know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? If we belong to Christ, his very spirit takes up dwelling within us. And that doesn't mean we're perfect, but that does mean we walk in his power and not our own. We walk in his strength and not our own. And so what do we do, right? So great, we got an awareness of this, but what do we do? We walk out of here and we live our lives the way Christ lived his. Just two quick things and then I'm done. This is what Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who what? He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He emptied himself. Do you know every day we wake up? We wake up with a desire to live life for ourselves. We wake up and there's things that we want. There's things that we want to go after. And in our own flesh and our own desires and in the world around us, there's, there's things that, if just left to myself, I'm going to go after those things. 
And here's how we walk worthy of the gospel. We empty ourselves of those things. This is how we say it to our kids. So our kids, you know, uh, they walk around, and you know how kids are. They, uh, you have dinner, and what do they want right away? They want dessert. And they, they have dessert, and then what do they, they want right away? They want more. And they want more and more, and they want fun and fun. And you go somewhere fun, and you're, they're like, what are we doing today? I'm the, for Pete's sake, we just went to an amusement park yesterday. Like, give it a rest. But they want more. They want, and they want, and they want. And, uh, anybody like that? <laughs> I want, and I want, and I want in my life. You know what we say to our kids? We say, here's, here's the thing. You've got a little knob in your, in your heart. It's your wanter. You need to turn your wanter down. So like, whoa, just slow that. No, no, no. We, we, we just ate dinner. There's no dessert. It's a weeknight. No dessert tonight. Turn your wanter down. No, no. This, is, this isn't all about what you want. This is about something bigger. Turn your wanter down. Can you, we say that to ourselves this morning? Can we say that to ourselves tomorrow morning when we wake up? Listen, I wake up and there's all these things I want. And there's all these things I'm fearful of. And there's all these things that I want to happen in today. Can I turn my wanter down? Lord Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Yours be done. Lord, let me open my word, because instead of starting my day, I want to open your word to find out what you want for my day instead of what I want. I want to draw my attention here instead of scrolling through my news feed, because I would want that, but I need to turn my wanter down. Can you turn your wanter down? Can you empty yourself? You can't, but he can. Will we participate with him in that? And then, Jesus Christ didn't just empty himself. That's not the only example we're supposed to follow. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's some heavy obedience. And here's the thing. I, I want to say this very carefully. You know, when I read that and I hear that and I stand up for being part of the fellowship of the unashamed and I want my life to look like that, there's a way, hear me out, there's a way that it would almost be easier if tomorrow I was going to face a gunman who was going to say, deny Christ or not. And I don't know, I, I pray, I don't know until I'm in that moment, but I pray if that moment ever comes that I might face death on behalf of him, that I would say, no, I will not deny my Lord and Savior. That I would die on behalf of him. And so I don't mean to minimize, that is a hard choice. That is a hard thing to walk through. And I don't mean to minimize that at all. And yet, somehow that would be clearer. Somehow my colors would feel clearer if, that, if, if I had to face that tomorrow instead of what I have to face tomorrow, which is just a day. Just a day of this world around us and a day of this reality that they put before us that's not really reality. The day of this new news that distracts me and takes away my love for Jesus and my love for the gospel. And yet that's what Jesus Christ calls us to. He calls us to die tomorrow. We might never have to stand before a gunman in our lives, but we stand before Jesus Christ every day. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. Let me, let me give you another way to put this. You know, wouldn't we love to be millionaires? <laughs> I'd love to be millionaires. You know, one of the things we dream about, you know, because God sanctifies a little part of our imagination, right? And so in that sanctified part of imagination, this is why we want to be millionaires, because I don't want to give away a million dollars, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Give away a million dollars, to our favorite charity, give away a million dollars to the poor, give away a million dollars to the homeless, give away a million dollars in one pop. Wouldn't that be awesome? Flash in the pan. Look at that. And even if anybody knows, nobody else knows, we know. You know what's harder? To give away a million dollars in dribs and drabs and dollars and cents over a lifetime. That's hard. That's hard. 
That's a little dying every day. There's nobody around celebrating that. That doesn't even feel good most of the time. That's dying to ourselves every day, and yet that's what Christ calls us to. Will we die today? So how do we walk worthy of the gospel? We can't, he can. It's will we participate with him in that? We participate with him in that by giving it our attention, our attention, by stopping our plans, by stopping our agendas, give your attention to the gospel at some point today. Give your attention to that. At some point tomorrow, at some point every day, you know what? Forget at some point, give it your attention all the time. In conversation with others, prayer in your own head, give your attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Empty yourself, turn your wanter down. Turn your wanter down so that you can want what he wants. And it's hard, but what do you need to die to today? What do you need to die to today for the sake of the gospel? For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict. Listen, the very same conflict that we saw Paul engaged in and now here that he still had. May we believe and suffer for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we confess that we've heard the gospel before and sometimes our attitude is I've heard that before. Instead of, wow, let me hear it again. God, I pray that you would preach the gospel to us afresh in our own hearts. Jesus, I pray that you would soften our hearts towards your word. Give us a bent tomorrow in our own hearts to want to dive into your word and not into the news feed. Let us just draw the attention of our very lives to you instead of everything else. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us to empty ourselves as you did. To turn the volume down on our wills. To turn the power down on our wills and turn it up on your will that is to be done in our lives. And Lord God, give us the humility. Give us the courage to die today on your behalf. And we can't wait till the day when we're no longer colonists, but to the day you bring us home. 